I get distracted really easily. And my wife's trying to talk to me and she you know, says ridiculous things like, are you listening? And, and I get distracted really easily. It might be the TV. It might be social media. It might be sports. But then when you get isolated, you get isolated, all of a sudden you find yourself involved with things that you would never have done. You're like, who is this person? This is not me. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict. I don't have suicidal thoughts. This is not what's going on in me. But Satan is the master of distraction because his plan is anything to take you and me away from Jesus. That's all that matters. Because once he gets you off course, he's got you. You're sitting at home. He's got you. He's got you isolated. You need to get reconnected. And listen, distraction's easy, all right? Because we get into routines, commonly called ruts. You know, I get up in the morning, I do my thing, shave, brush my teeth. If, if my wife would put the preparation H where my toothpaste is, I would just use it. I would not notice the difference. Is, am, I, am I telling the truth? I'm kind of making my mouth pucker up, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But this is, um, I don't know if you guys have, it's been a while since I had some of this, but it's called the, the Bianca. Anybody, anybody know what this stuff is? The spray that you use? Oh yeah, there's the picture. Yeah, well, you know, you get distracted, right? So I got this going on. I got my body spray going on for other purposes. And, uh, Things are just happening, you know. I'm tired, I'm getting up late. So I get myself a shot. Now I speak with a terrible accent. <laughs> All right. I wrote that. I wrote that, yeah. Author, author, yeah. All right, Hebrews 11. Get your Bibles out, iPhones, iPads, scrolls, whatever you brought with you. Hebrews 11 is called the, the roll call of faith. And it starts with creation and how history begins as God speaks into time. And it goes really up through the first century. And the, the author is pulling out people that he sees, men and women that he sees as heroes of the faith. And i got to define this for you right out of the bat because he says faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's not a blind faith. You know, a lot of you grew up in a church where the preacher or the priest said, listen, you just need to trust God. Whether he was talking about the Bible or something he just made up or something the church just made up, they would say, ah, oh, you just got to take it by faith. Praise God, I didn't grow up in that church. I grew up in a church where my preacher said, Dig it. Go find it. Here's a book. Go read about it. Go study this. Go do some archaeology. And I went and did the work. And my attempt today is to show you, not only can you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you can have so much confidence in your Bible that when anybody tries to come against you, you will have that knowledge in your head that I can trust this book above everything else. Faith. The word faith is always used as an action verb. We use it as a noun. I have faith. What do you mean you have faith? I went to church. Therefore, I have faith. No, I went to Publix too. I went to Walmart too. I went to a race too. That doesn't mean anything. Faith is always an action verb. By faith... 
Abel offered an offering. By faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, Noah built a boat. And as we go through Hebrews 11, you're going to see all of these actions. By faith, we loved our spouses. By faith, we were faithful to God. By faith, we gave to this. By faith, we live like this. It's always an action. But in our culture, when you hear the word, it might mean I have a faith in crystals. I'm spiritual, don't you know? I'm connected to higher beings. It means nothing. Faith in the creator of the universe. That's where he starts. By faith in the one who created the heavens. So God gives us these ancient people as an example. And they were real people. And what I'm going to show you through this this, these few minutes is how Jesus believed in every one of these people and he believed that they were real people. All right. So Jael's already read the scripture for us. So we're going to just jump right into this text. It starts off with a guy named Abel. Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's two sons. They were indeed literal sons. Adam and Eve were real. So were Cain and Abel. If you'll remember the story after Adam and Eve sinned, Before they sinned, what were they wearing? Nothing. Then they sinned and they did what? They covered, they hid and they covered themselves with fig leaves. And God said, who told you you were naked? And then the next line, what are they wearing? They're wearing fur because an animal died. God sacrificed an animal and then they were covered with this, the cloths that were made from the animal. A blood sacrifice had to be made for Adam and Eve's sin. God then explains to Cain and Abel, this is what's got to continue. There has to be a blood sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So there has to be a blood sacrifice that is involved in this story. So God tells Cain and Abel, this is how we're going to do it. So Abel raises flocks. He, he has sheep, goats. So when it comes time to bring the offering, he brings a pure, spotless lamb, which is ultimately going to represent who? Jesus. Cain is the tiller of the ground. He brings fruits and vegetables. And God's angry. Not because he brought fruits and vegetables. This is not a shot at vegans. What is the prescribed plan here? What do we got to have? Blood. Blood. Well, God said, sorry, but that's not acceptable. And so Cain gets angry at God and he gets angry at his brother and he kills his brother. First murder in the Bible. And God says... Cain, what'd you do with your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? You want to know where that phrase came from? There it is. Genesis 4. And he said, Cain, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. I want you to hear me. Innocent blood always cries out to God. Whether it's an abortion, whether it's a child trafficking, innocent blood always cries out to God. Abel did nothing wrong. If you haven't found that out yet, take a look at the passage. Abel was the guy that did it right. He brought the right offering at the right time to the right God. He does worship right. And what happens to him? He gets killed. He steps right into the presence of God. Maybe you're Abel. 
You're like, man, I've done everything right. I don't get it. Or most everything, right? Why am I the one being persecuted? Why am I the one being abused? Listen, your job and my job is to make sure we bring the right worship to God. Well, I don't want to come in through Jesus. Well, okay, good luck. I don't want to talk about the blood, the sacrifice on the cross. I think Buddha or Muhammad or whatever can get me in. Well, good luck. But the scripture is very clear about the blood of a pure, spotless lamb that was sacrificed so that we could be saved. It was the right worship. And it says today, Abel's blood is still speaking to us. That innocent blood is still speaking to us. Here's the passage, Genesis 4, 4. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. What did Jesus have to say about this? Matthew 23. wonder if Jesus thought Abel was a real guy. And so, upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth. Now, he's speaking to the Pharisees. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees 2,000 years after Abel died. All right? 4,000 years, excuse me. 4,000 years after Abel died. Jesus is looking at the religious teachers and he said, all of the righteous blood that has been spilled, all of the prophets that you killed from Abel, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berkiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. He says, all that blood's on you, all that innocent blood, you're going to be held accountable for. Now, what's interesting historically here is all these prophets, and they did, they killed all of them. If you read, look, take a look at the list in your Bible of the prophets, they killed every last one of them. And they're all buried in a row. God, God just sets things up. So Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives. Jerusalem's over here. This is the Mount of Olives, the night he prays before he is being crucified. And they arrest him and they take him through the Kidron Valley. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. In that valley is where every one of those prophets is buried. Abel is buried at this end. Zechariah is buried at this end. Is God good or what? And Jesus looks him in the eye and he says, From Abel to Zechariah, you've killed them all. And all this innocent blood is all on you. Zechariah, by the way, was John the Baptist's dad. And he was worshiping God. He was in the temple offering a sacrifice to God. And they killed him while he was making the sacrifice. He said, all that innocent blood will be upon you. That's not where I want to be. That's not what I want. Abel is seen as righteous because he did what? Because he brought God the worship that God asked for. Well, what does that mean? That means we worship through Jesus. That means we, we're singing, we're, we're, we're giving, we're serving. But it's all focused about Jesus. Then we get to Enoch. He said Enoch was also one of the ancients who was commended for faith. Now there's two verses about Enoch. In Genesis, it's in Genesis 5. It says that Enoch was 320 years old, uh, something like that. We got the, I don't know how old he was, something like that. Enoch walked faithfully with God and then he was no more because God took him away. You've got you to read the story. It's all it says. It says he lived 300 years and then he had children and then he learned to walk with God. Now I'll let you ponder that. He had children, and then he learned to walk with God. 
I don't know what happened. Doesn't tell us. Was, was it the fact that he realized they're, they have eternal souls and I'm responsible for them too? Was it the fact that he had some two-year-olds that he was about to lose his mind? Did he have some teenagers that he himself wanted to eliminate from the planet? No offense taken. All right. I don't know. I don't know. But it says after all those years, Enoch has kids and then he walked with God. Can I remind you that at the very beginning of time, God creates Adam and Eve, and it said every evening, God would show up, and what did he do? He and Adam went for a walk. And God said, Adam, what what'd you see today? Well, this cool bear over here, and whatever they talked about. But the picture of our relationship with God is going on a walk. Still works today. When you go for a walk with somebody, it's amazing conversations you can have. Husband, wife, parent, child, friends. A lot of things happen when you walk together and you just share stories. So from Abel, we learn how to worship. From Enoch, we learn about walking. And then we get to Noah and we learn about working. Now, I don't have time. Noah covers Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9. There's more written about Noah than there is anybody else. And isn't it interesting that that's the story that always gets attacked the most? So you stupid Christians believe in this Noah and the flood. You believe in the boat. And All right, let's have a little historical fun, shall we? Everywhere in the world, every ancient culture, pay attention. Don't, don't believe me, look it up. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Sumerians, the Egyptians, the Navajo, the Apache, the Inca, the Aztec, the Mayan, all have flood stories. The Chinese, the Japanese, the Russians. You pick your ancient culture, they all have a flood story. Well, would you tell me about that flood story? Yes, I would. Thank you for asking. There's always a global flood. There's always a boat. There's always one family on the boat. There's always a boatload of animals. And at the end, there's a rainbow. And the scientists tell me I'm crazy. Every single ancient civilization has a flood story. And Jesus specifically refers to Noah. So, did Jesus believe in the flood? Did Jesus believe in Noah? Well, here's what, well, let's, Genesis, here's what God says about Noah. Said, Noah did everything just as God commanded. That verse angers me. I memorized it years and years and years ago because it made me so mad. Noah did everything right. Well, he messes up in chapter 9. He ends up getting drunk and things go south. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying at least, again, I see the humanity. Because I can't relate to Noah when he does everything right. I can relate when he messes things up. But Noah did what God told him to do. What did God tell him to do? Build a boat. Now, as far as I know, this is the only time God ever needed a boat. So I don't know what he's commanding you and me to do. Maybe it's a shoebox. A little easier to build than a than a boat uh, that's going to hold all the animals. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what, uh, what God's asking you to do. But here's what Jesus said about Noah. He says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Can we get, pull that one up for me? There we go. One more. 
For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And that's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So they all made fun of Noah the whole time he's building the boat. They're making fun of his family. The, the sensuality, sexuality, out-of-control culture is going on all around Noah while he's building the boat. They're cussing at him. There's crazy sexual stuff going on all around him. There's, he's being abused. His family's being abused. All this is playing out while he's building the boat right up until the day it started raining. The only thing God had not explained to Noah was how to close the door. The door weighed several tons. When it was time, God closed the door. God left the door open as long as he could for anybody who wanted to be saved. But there came a time when God closed the door. He didn't want Noah to have to be the one to close it. So God closed the door. But let me show you where we are. This is a Catholic priest who wrote this. And this may be the most insightful thing about our culture. His name is, is Charles Chapeau. He says, evil preaches tolerance until tolerance becomes dominant and then it tries to silence good. Let's try that again. Evil preaches tolerance until it becomes dominant. Tolerance becomes dominant. Then it tries to silence what is good. I'd write that down or take a picture of it or, or something. Because you want to see that you want to see America? There it is. There it is. He put it to you in one sentence of what is unfolded in our culture. Abel was seen as a faithful man because of his worship. Enoch, because of his walk with God. Noah, because of his work for God. There's a story this week about a guy who rescued his wife and his daughter from a, from a 600-pound alligator. Here's a, here's a picture back here. When he saw the alligator, there was no time to think about it. He knew he had to rescue his child. When you look at Noah's story, yes, Noah rescues the animals and everything we see today is, is, is what's left over uh, from the remnants of what was on the ark. Um, other people could have been saved. Thousands of people could have been saved, but none of them were. But God told Noah to build the boat for whom? Maybe you should look at the passage again. To rescue his family. To rescue his family. Because when it comes right down to it, you and I are responsible for our own families. Now, I can't make my children's decisions or my grandchildren's decision, but that should be my ultimate priority, is to help my own children be ready for eternity. That's what we're here to do. Let me finish with this story. I don't know how many of you have seen this. This is a a light spectrum. Anybody seen this on Facebook? So far, one person. A couple of you? Okay. All right. So I, I won't claim it's mine. Um, this is a picture of the Bible. Somebody, somebody spent a lifetime working on this. Okay. Let me show you what this is. The white line at the bottom is the Bible. Here's Genesis 1. Here's Revelation 22. And what they did is they took cross-references. For instance, we've got Enoch mentioned in Genesis 5. Well, there's a line that brings him down, and he's mentioned again in Hebrews 11, and then he's mentioned one more time in the book of Jude. Okay? 
But I want you to see is the continuity and how the entire book fits together. Now, if you were to write this book, which I doubt many of us would be able to do, this would be nearly impossible. But allow me to give you the history. This book was written on three continents in three different languages over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors. And look at the perfection. You need Jesus. Come over here to the right. You just need some prayer. Come over here to the left. You're watching online. There's a button that says, I have decided. More than anything, I want you to know that you can trust Jesus and that you can trust the Word of God. Lord, by faith, we come to you. Not a faith in an empty void, but a faith based in solid science. A faith based in literature, a faith based in history, a faith based in archaeology. But still, by faith, we hold on for what you have projected for each one of us. By faith, we choose to worship and walk and work according to your word, not to be distracted by all that the world throws at us. In Jesus' name, amen.